0: Welcome to the Exit Insights podcast. This is the conversations where we're dedicated to helping business owners prepare for exit so they can maximise value and exit on their terms. I'm Daryl Bates-Brownsword, and today I'm joined by Mark Edwards from Boss Equity. Welcome, Mark, and great to have you on the show today.
1: Thank you, Daryl. I welcome the opportunity, actually, to answer questions as I've been asking them.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's nice to to get on the other side. Hey, it is. Why don't you give us a bit of background, Mark, and uh, as to you know how we got to you know having you on the show because uh, you've got a really interesting uh, background and, and a lot of experience that listeners are going to get a get a lot from today.
1: Well, hopefully so. Yes. Um. I'm First of all, I, I've got a podcast um, called Boss It, so that's the comment about you know I'm typically asking the questions. Um, so Boss Equity, we started back in 1999, um, worked internationally right from the very start, but we specialised within the software technology sector. And that's because of, of my own background, You know, that's where I came from. I had an M&A background in, in working with a wide range of, of business owners uh, and a businesses of different sizes. Then I exited that. I got into the software sector when I was actually running software company. I was selling software I was a shareholder in various software companies in large and small software organizations. And I thought, actually, this is the place I'd like to stay. You know, There's so much potential and we're seeing that even more so today. It's right at the heart of this: the whole world digitizing. So we decided to be specialists to use that knowledge and you know over the last 23 years seem to have flown by but we've done deals on four continents um, I've been involved in well over 120 deals now starting to lose count um, and all different types of, of software technology businesses during that time so it's it's been very enjoyable very stimulating.
0: Yeah it's um, you get to look at the business from <clears> the <throat> inside out you get to know them and the owners pretty well it's, it's a bit of a privilege really isn't it?
1: You do. I mean, my clients become friends. You do get to know these people. You have to get a feeling for the people and the client at the start. Uh, I mean, I, I always have this sort of mental process that I go through. And I always to say to my colleagues is about the first impression you want to get is what's your client like? Could you work with them? Will you enjoy working with them? but also get a feel for their personality because that will also give you an indication as to what type of business that they've got.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So 120 odd deals. You've seen the, the game from both sides. Yeah. That's what intrigued me to go, look, I've got to talk to Mark on the show. There's, there, there's something there. He's got a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge that is really relevant to, you know, the clients of this show, who are getting ready and starting to think about, hey, I need to start preparing for exit. They're the ones who are sort of three years out going, hey, how do I get the most of my life's work? How do I gear this business up? How do I make the transition that works for me? So it's a, a similar conversation there. So you, you must have a lot of um, stories, you must have a, you know, from both sides and, and what the mistakes are. So uh, should we start <coughs> there?
1: Sure, sure. I mean, although I specialize within software tech, prior to this worked sort of more generally in a wide range of businesses the principles apply to all types of businesses and i would say that you know even if you haven't got a software tech business i think the vast majority of the principles will apply to your business as well so it's worth listening stay tuned
0: that's the thing about business is the context is you know we've got our business is now a product that we need to sell we've been Mm. building our business for for years as business owners We've been selling our product. We're really comfortable with selling our product. We understand our market. We understand where our customers, our clients come from, what they're looking for, what problems we solve for them. Now we're selling our business. Our business has become the product that we're selling. Mm-hmm. And we're going, and I'm, as a business owner, are often uh, intimately involved. So what are some of, let's start at the headlines. What are some of the things you see that you know, would really hold back a business when you're in the m and side of things, you're going, Hey, I'm starting to do my due diligence on this business. What are some of the things you see that go? Yeah, maybe I won't take this one any further. I won't. I don't want to acquire this business.
1: Well, I mean, the the majority of our work has been working with the seller, so going out into the market to find the buyer. But we also have worked on on the buyer side, so with the buy mandate as well. So in that respect, again, I've sort of seen both sides. I think some of the issues. And and the big one is people leaving that exit strategy too late. They have a board meeting and for a whole host of reasons, um, and we can cover some of those, they decide that they want to sell the business. And then somebody comes up and says, we will probably do this in nine to 12 months. And I'm not saying that you can't do it within that time, but I actually, and I've done a, a series of seminars where I say, begin with that exit strategy in mind from when you very first start the business. People think that's a little bit crazy, but actually I think it's very useful in building the business because you start to view the business in a different way. The business isn't you or it isn't those, those shareholders, it is a separate entity and you need to build it in a way that will make it saleable. And the sooner you start doing that, the easier it will be.
0: You're speaking with a real level head there, Mark. And yes, the business is a separate entity. You know, you rock up, you, you just happen to own the business and and you got to treat the business as a separate entity. Can't argue with that. The reality is something different though, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Business well, well there's, there's, there's an aspect to that. Is, is I've seen, this is a bit of a sort of a psychological aspect to this, and this is probably not where I expect to go, but I've seen founders who get to the stage where they want to sell the business, but the business now becomes so much part of their personality and their way of life that actually they struggle and they can't let it go.
0: Yeah, it's like a baby. It's their Absolutely.
1: Baby. Yeah, and that's quite often where, and, and typically for sort of smaller businesses, where they're wanting to not let it go, but they know that they can't lead that business any longer for a host of reasons, and they might want to hand it on to family members. And that, in, in today's society, and just my experience, in again, this is in the software sector, typically fails yeah a is that the next generation they've probably quite often they've been involved in that business they've grown up with the business they will they will have their own ambitions and it probably isn't to run that software business so they feel as though it's being hoisted upon them and sometimes they just have they're not that right personality type you know that, that's not their motivation or they haven't got the right skills and unfortunately, I've seen quite a few businesses that have been handed on to the next generation and have failed very, very quickly. Successful, profitable businesses that just slump.
0: Yeah. And that's because they didn't have the end in mind. They, they, it's kind of a knee jerk. Do I hand it on to my family? Do I? They're not clear around what the options that are available to them. Yet. Yeah do they wind it up and do they do they want to exit from equity do they want to exit from a day a day-to-day role do they want to exit from the board from control what do they want to exit from what is it that they're not getting joy from anymore and then how do we transition that gently because even when our kids grow up and leave home you know they might go off to uni and you know they keep coming back on weekends and then eventually they might sort of you know, you know, leave forever, it, it's a transition period. We get conditioned, they get conditioned. It, it's a nice transition. In a business, you know, I guess the most often we see that type of transition is with an earnout, you know, and, you know, why, why do earnouts exist? Well, you know, the buyer is going, well, I want an earnout to de risk it because this business I'm looking to acquire is wholly dependent on the owners or the founders being there. So I need them to make sure I get those forecasts. From the seller's perspective, they don't want to earn out because it puts all of their money at risk. They've been offered a whole lot of, um, you know, cash at, at, at some point, and then down the track they might get some more cash. Hopefully, if everything goes okay, when they've no longer got control of what happens on the on the runnings of the business. So, you know, there's a transition that we we, we typically don't want, or we want to minimise the risk associated with that. So, what what are some of the things that the you know, when you're buying or selling that you've done to help owners minimize their risk and, and therefore minimize the risk for the buyer as well and, and make it a more attractive deal for both sides?
1: Well, you, I mean, you covered quite a few things and earnout is something I'd like to come back to. Right. Um, but if, 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 I, if I was sort of to take this in sequence, I suppose the first thing is getting to understand the, the shareholders who, who's been running this business what their roles have been, how much the business is dependent on those individuals and what's their motivation for exit. And one of the questions that I I will often ask them is, what are you going to do next? Because it's not always retirement, especially now, things have changed. People are more fluid in their careers. People move on more quickly. And I think rightly so. There's a lot of people that see themselves as being those sort of entrepreneurial types who will have an idea, will build on that idea, create value, create employment, take the business to a certain size, and then say, actually, taking this business further means me having to be a different type of person. It's now going to be, or it could be, a big part about managing people, rather than taking an idea, taking a technology, looking for the opportunity, making it work, you know, doing those initial marketing, creating relationships, building a sort of a medium-sized business quite often involves different skills. And I think what what rightly happens is that those people who are sort of appreciative of what they enjoy and what they don't will say, it's probably time for me to sell and go and do it again. And that actually can be very successful. I'm, I'm quite keen on working with returning clients. I, we, you know, we've had a successful project together I and mean, in fact, that we've, we've been able to work on a business together, position it and sell it successfully. But they've been through that journey, that successful track record helps them, for instance, if they want to raise investment, to have been through that journey once. So understanding the motivation, and understanding what they want to do next tells me a lot about what's going to be involved in that process.
0: Yeah. and. Yeah, you, you've got something that, that we we focus on as well as if the owners, founders, they're entrepreneurial people, they're energized, they're active people who get on with stuff. Yeah, the sort of people, you know, even though they might say it at the time, hey, look, I want to sell the business and I want to sit on a beach and drink pina coladas. Well, we know they're going to want to do that for two weeks and have a break, and then they're going to want to do something again. So, you know, we focus on what happens next? Because I've just seen too many deals, and I imagine you have as well, When where the owner's not clear, they don't have any clarity about what they're going to do next, for some reason, the deal just doesn't come off. It doesn't, it doesn't proceed. It's stalled for some reason. They'll find a, an excuse to, to delay it. When yep. they do know what the classic entrepreneurs, shiny new thing, they grasp hold of that, that new thing that they're going to do, and they run with it. And it's almost like they almost let the business go, but when everything, the timing's right and they're prepared and the business is prepared, they can move on to what's next for them. And I like what you say. It's, we talk about what's next because it's not necessarily retirement. Some yeah. of them want to go on and, and invest in other businesses. Some want to start a new entity, new enterprise. But when they're clear about what's happening next, they're <clears throat> running.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's also, you know, a, a lot of the businesses that, that we've been involved with They have multiple shareholders, you know, the larger organization, but you've got multiple shareholders. We're looking to understand that shareholding structure. Yeah. Who has the power within it. And also, what is the motivation for those individual shareholders? Has somebody got the right to veto an acquisition? And actually, their motivation is totally different from the others, because you could get to the point of having a great deal on the table and somebody saying, I don't want to do it.
0: Well, that's that's part of preparing for exit, isn't it? Getting the it shareholders is. aligned, and you know, what are our shareholder agreements like? Are they drag and tag? And can any can a small shareholder veto it? You know, yeah. How does it? <clears throat> how are we going to agree on a deal when there's multiple shareholders? There's a lot of groundwork that needs to be done in part of that preparation stage, because as you point out, you don't want to get to the point where it's we've done invested hours and days and months of work to get here. And then someone going to hear someone go, yeah, no, I don't want to do it.
1: I mean, that asking the question of why do you want to sell your business? I don't want to oversimplify this because I've never asked a potential client. Why do you want to sell your business? And they go to me, don't know, no idea. I haven't thought about it. They've always got an answer, but I see my job is helping facilitate their thinking to think about that process and the motivation a little bit more deeply, not only for me to understand, but for them to understand as well. Because that can also be contributing to the type of deal structure that they may want, which you mentioned about earnout. And earnouts, I've done a lot of deals where there aren't earnouts at all. And, and actually, it's not as black and white as you may think in the fact that you know the buyers want earnout earn out and the sellers don't, not in the software sector. Anyway, I'm not talking more broadly, because remember, uh, a big and and a more increasing aspect of the value of software companies is the high level of recurring revenue that they have, particularly now that we've moved to, you know, SaaS models. And you've got subscriptions and you've got long term contracts in place. uh, And you've got a, a fast growing company. A... An owner of a smaller organization, I've I've got a couple of opportunities, clients that I'm working with at the moment, they want to be acquired by a larger organization because it enables them to, to accelerate their business. They're growing, they're profitable, but as part of a larger organization, what they've got, the value that they've built up could be leveraged through a larger network and not just the network, sometimes the value of what they've created is very difficult to, for, for large corporates. So if it's, if it's a product or a service that's particularly applicable for the very largest corporates, and you're a small organization, but there's a high value with that product or service, and they look at you and say, wow, if we go ahead with you, that's 50% of your overall revenue, that's a risk. Yes. Now, as part of a much larger, a billion dollar organization, that's not, that's not the same perceived risk.
0: Absolutely that's a big consideration isn't it
1: yeah so so in that case and there's been a number of deals that have done that that organisation in part of a larger group grows much more quickly and yes those current shareholders do want to earnout out because if the deal's structured in the right way they're going to earn more money they're going to earn more money over a shorter period
0: and yeah look it's a really good point to make because um yeah we can talk about you're yeah, not wanting earnouts but there are reasons and valuable reasons why you would want one. And, you know, do I become a shareholder in the new entity and going, yeah, this is kind of a partial exit. It, it truly is a merger rather than an acquisition. Yes, we're being acquired, but, you know, it's a strategic reasoning and we're part of a larger organisation, as you suggest. And, you know, we've got, we've got a game in, you know, our, our second part of the game is in this bigger organisation, which is kind of cool. So it's a win-win-win for, you know, to coin a phrase for everyone.
1: <clears throat> but, but but there are reasons to be wary, you know, and you have to be informed. And I think one of the, uh, I, I, I've thought about this quite a lot. One of the reasons that I think that my, all of my clients have been bright, intelligent, well-educated people that with confidence, because in order to be able to build a business, you tend to be of that nature. You know, they they're smart guys. They're used to doing deals and that's their, Achilles heel they think selling their business is just another deal and it's quite incredible sometimes what I've seen when you're selling a business and now this is not just a deal you're doing within your business this is a life-changing moment I've had several examples I can think of but one in particular which was a man very very level-headed guy laid back relaxed I never really I never saw him ruffled he was uh, He was very particular about, you know, having a very well-organized business. He was analytical. And we went through a process. We generated a lot of interest. We brought 12 potential buyers to the table. And we got down to the company that we thought was going to make the best offer. And they made the offer and the deal structure. And it was a really good offer. And his face went blank. And I looked towards him to get some sort of feedback from him. I knew it was a great offer, but you always want to get that sort of, feedback and I knew this guy very well I was going to read his body language and he said excuse me can I just go outside with Mark for a moment and we got up and we walked out and he said what did they just say to us I said what do you mean he said he said I'm sorry he said I just didn't hear it and I had to talk him through the offer it he just got overwhelmed by this Mm -hmm. moment I mean it was months and months of work to get to that point and it really surprised me and then he sat down and we had a cup of tea. They're still still in this other room. And I said, how do you feel? He said, yeah. He said, it's a bit dreamlike. He said, but I think I've got it now. And we went back in and he had, he had his business face on again and he was fine and we concluded the deal. But that surprised me. So, you know, you, you don't know how it's going to affect you.
0: Well, what you're highlighting to me is the importance of going, look, for, for most business owners, this, this is potentially life changing or it's at least significant life event. You need, yeah, and if you, you can do it on your own, no problem, but you, you don't know about all the gotchas that that could catch you out. And that's why you've got to have someone like yourself, someone, you know, some advisors to prepare you along the way, because yeah. And it's where we started the conversation, isn't it? You know, you are running your business. You're familiar with running your business. You're doing deals. You're doing products, marketing, running your business day in, day out. You're familiar with that. When it comes to selling your business and your business is now the product, it's, Often the first time you've done this, it's, yeah, it's still a bit of a deal, but it's, it's a different type and it's not your normal market.
1: You know, it, the biggest area where I become a bit concerned is not actually when they, when the entrepreneur does it for the first time, it's when they do, do it for the second or third time, or they have somebody on their board who they say is very experienced in M&A and they've done maybe half a dozen deals that's when I become most concerned, because they often feel they know it all. And I've been doing this for a long, long time. And I've done lots and lots of deals. And I never think that. And I always think every deal is different. And, you know, I had one, I had one example, it was a company that I knew very well. And I knew quite a few of the board members very, very well. And they had somebody join their board, and he'd done half a dozen deals. And he wanted to handle the M&A process. And I met with him and we had a conversation and we were talking about potentially him being my point of contact. And actually what he wanted to do he wanted to handle the whole thing. He, want, he, didn't want, he didn't want boss equity involved, which was a shame because I knew the business and I knew the people. And he told me about the deals he'd been involved in. And because I knew the industry very well, he'd been at companies that had been acquired or he'd played a small part And then in two of the other deals he'd been involved had actually been terrible failures. Yes, he'd been through six acquisitions, but he hadn't managed that process, didn't really understood it. And in the two that he had managed himself were total failures. And that false confidence is a problem. And which later proved to be true. You know, they had a an aborted MA process, which is something that you don't want because yeah. that can be harmful to, to your ongoing business today. Competitors can use it against you. It, it can create uncertainty for staff. It can create uncertainty in the market. And if you handle it in the wrong way, it can become known that you're a business that's sort of up for sale. Yeah.
0: And I'm just thinking as you were talking through that, you know, I'm I'm just thinking about any business. If they'd had six sales in their experience, you wouldn't go that they're an experience, you know. You've you've got your first six sales. Congratulations, it's a great start. Yeah. And now it doesn't mean you've got a business with just six sales.
1: In- no, and in reality, he hadn't had six sales, you know, he he'd been at a company that had been acquired a couple of times. You know, that's that's a little bit different.
0: Yeah. So it's amazing. The, the, the more advisors I'm talking to on on, on the podcast, you know, the, the people who are doing deals, the, you know, and, and we've got a lot of experience of, of leading up to deals and getting people deals done. And it's why we started uh, Succession Plus. But you know, since doing the podcast, I've talked to a lot more brokers and and corporate finance people and and funders and you know of various types. And they all cite, you know, a common theme is inexperience is is something that can become a deal breaker. You know, either because you know they want too much, they want too little, they're 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 unreasonable in their expectations, and they're just unprepared. They're no. just not aware of the work that's required and what a buyer wants from your business. You know, in your world, yeah, you may have a fantastic business compared to the rest of the market, but it doesn't mean it's attractive to a buyer and ready for exit. You know no. this so many things that can go wrong that you just haven't considered, and they haven't impeded in you running your business.
1: You know, I've been involved on on the buy side, and I've had a clear profile of the type of organization that, that my client's looking for, approached companies that fundamentally would be an ideal fit, but they're just not prepared. And I've been aware of how much my client would be willing to pay for the right type of organization because it was a strategic fit yep. and, and really provided a lot of value for that company. But uh, I could see a deal couldn't be concluded because it, they just weren't ready. Yeah. And that was the, that's one of the other things mm-hmm. is you should always be in a state to be ready because you don't know when that golden opportunity can come. And, and, and it's about timing sometimes. And you, You can't tell when that might happen. I mean, I I see indicators within certain sectors, within the software sector. You can't think of it as one big market where certain sectors have become very, very hot. They become very active, and there are are reasons for that. But strategically, for one organization that's perhaps pivoting, changing, and going in a different direction, that strategic move may depend on them gaining expertise or, or technical or client base or location which means that business is very, very valuable. And they'll be willing to pay more. And that's the other thing is about valuations, when people think that a valuation is something that's worked out on an Excel spreadsheet by accountants. And it isn't.
0: <laughs> it gets you in the right park, doesn't it? And uh, it's, it's a starting And evaluation. Sometimes.
1: Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it puts you in the ballpark, right ballpark. Sometimes it doesn't at all. You know, we need to I've, I've been surprised many, many times.
0: At the end of the day, you know, when people say what's a business worth, I go, well, it's what is like anything, it's what someone's prepared to pay for it.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: What we want to do is make it more attractive, so it's attractive, you know, and you know, to a wider group of people. You want to make your market bigger. If you're just a, a business that's unprepared, you might be attractive to a competitor you know, he's just looking to buy a few clients. If you establish and develop and prepare your business a bit more, it becomes attractive in your, as you're saying, to someone who's strategic. And they'll go, this business will fit in my portfolio and they'll fill a gap in the portfolio I don't have.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of one of um, one of my clients once used this phrase, uh, when we were explaining about what we do how we work with the client and we were sort of breaking down the different stages he said I get it you get us match fit I quite like that that yeah. idea but but that isn't about just presenting the business or or changing or you know some sort of marketing hype to make the business more, look more valuable than it really is
0: why yeah. can see through that really quick.
1: absolutely and you know I've seen that as well one of the other things that I'm always checking is have they done the obvious thing, which is to increase their profits by just reducing the costs? That will be spotted within minutes. Yeah. That doesn't that doesn't help at all.
0: Yeah, I don't know what to say. Look, it's you know, whenever we're selling a business, where a business is being sold, the buyers are always oh, always in most cases more experienced at buying and selling businesses than you are. At yeah. Sale. So this is yeah. you know, they're, 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 they're acquiring, so they're more experienced, so they can. Spend but the you know the, the trick it's like selling a, a house you know if you slap on a coat coat of paint and you slap it over the 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 floors and you don't fix any underlying issues an experienced buyer will notice that
1: yeah yeah, yeah. A absolutely
0: buyer of businesses will go well they've with the financials like they they're just slapped it together to try and make it look pretty yeah well which just means we'll be more ruthless in our due diligence because all of a sudden we don't trust it so we absolutely. need to go a bit, bit deeper. Yeah, clearly they're not exit ready, they're not attractive. We won't spend a whole lot of time on it. We'll move on. And, yes. and I, it's because of things like that that you know only 20% of or so of businesses that go to market actually end up getting sold. So yeah, t-
1: typically, typically the larger organizations that they may have an M&A department or a number yeah. of people that are just doing running that role, that that process. They, they'll be looking at many, many different types of acquisitions and they go through them quite quickly. Yep. If there's something early on that raises a red flag, they'll probably not bother looking any further quite often. Depends on what it is. But it's really important that you are able to establish tra- trust and credibility at a very early stage.
0: Yeah. So, Mark, we've covered a whole lot of ground and, um, you know, you've got a wealth of knowledge and experience and, and you know,
1: you're just saying i'm old aren't you (laughs) (laughs) it's another way of saying you're very old you've been doing it a long time (laughs)
0: i'm also saying it's time to wind this up so yes (laughs) (laughs) so the the listeners are sitting yeah they're they're at the end of their dog walk they're they're at the end of their commute what's the one thing that you want to want you know listeners to remember from from what you've shared with us today key points
1: key points start early start thinking about that process early make sure I think it was uh, Daniel Defoe in the in uh, robinson Crusoe set to set to see where the mariner, who knows where the reefs are. I think that's an important point because there are many out there, and you can trip yourself up and you can run aground yeah. without mixing my analogies. Um, understand and really understand why you're looking to sell and why you're looking to sell now, and also. Be able to have that flexible perspective that you can step outside of the business and be able to look at your business in the same way that a buyer would. Um, And I think if you go about it in the right way, don't be fearful of selling your business. Quite often, um, you know, it's it's the right thing to do for your business and the employees within that organisation and and for yourself. There, There comes a time when it is right to sell. Quite often I have people come to me sort of an initial discussion because instinctively they know that it's time to sell the business. And I think part of my job is helping them to understand why they have that gut feeling. I would say go with your gut instincts because quite often they, 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 they give you the right answer.
0: Yeah. It's great advice. Great advice. So prepare it early. I I guess you're saying, yeah, get some, some help with that. Trust your gut. And, and if you are prepared, there's nothing to be afraid of.
1: No, and no, no, absolutely not. You
0: know, it, it will go smoothly because you've, you've done the groundwork. You've built the foundations up front. Yeah? And you'll know that you know, you're getting the most from your life's work. You're getting a good deal. Hey, there, yeah. top tips. Thank you. Super. Well, thanks for your time today, Mark. Uh, we'll include some, some, some of your info, your, your how to get in touch uh, in the show notes. But I uh, appreciate you joining us today.
1: Super. I've been I've enjoyed talking to you today, Daryl.